0: Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George.
1: And I'm
2: Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing High Fidelity. High Fidelity was written by Nick Hornby and published in 1995.
0: And the film adaptation was directed by Stephen Frears and came out in 2000.
2: So 1995 was 23 years ago. What? Yeah oh my god 23 years ago
0: shit you're right that's insane isn't that wild
2: (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think it's cool that we're still reading a book that came out 20 23 years ago you know what i mean
0: yeah no it's crazy and i I think it helps in a way that um you know the pop culture references in it are already kind of like a lot of times obscure Mm -hmm. and already like older references yeah so it doesn't feel like it's really dated by that at all no which is nice so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's uh and, and you know great book and movie adaptation i'm so excited to talk about it me too especially because we were familiar well i don't i know i was familiar with the movie first me too okay yeah what other uh books has uh nick hornby written
2: so he's written uh, about a boy which is also a movie um, Long Way Down, which I think they made into a movie as well. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Um, a couple other books. Um, also, the movie Fever Pitch is based on a book oh, that yeah. he wrote. Uh, so yeah, he's pretty prolific. He's a British author. Um, lives in England, and yeah.
0: And you told me he also wrote the screenplay for the movie Brooklyn.
2: Yes. Yeah. He wrote the screenplay for that, which I we love that movie. Oh my god, so.
0: that movie's so good, and you can tell by this book alone that dialogue is his forte. Yeah. And the, 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 not that the dialogue was super stood out to me in that movie, but I think he's probably a really good screenplay writer. I'm sure if he tries. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, in terms of Stephen Frears, the director, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, Nick Hornby is a British author Mm -hmm. and sets most of his books there. And most of the adaptations take place there. Um, but this adaptation takes place in Chicago. Yeah. And the director, Stephen Frears, is kind of, he does a lot of British movies.
2: Really? Yeah.
0: And this is the only one that I knew about that I was familiar with that took place in America. Because he also did Philomena.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And The Queen. Okay. And he just did, um, oh, I guess this didn't take place in England, but uh, the one where Meryl Streep is a really bad singer.
2: Oh, Ricky and the Flash no (laughs) she's supposed to be a good singer yeah (laughs) accidental meryl streep burn (laughs) oh florence foster jenkins thank you yeah
0: (laughs) that was pretty good uh yeah yeah so you know the only one of the few states movies he's directed but based on a british book so Mm -hmm. he might have been a a nick hornby fan i don't know
2: yeah maybe
0: should we should we dive into it?
2: Yeah, let's let's start. Let's start with Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Our main character, protagonist, a delightfully stupid man.
1: <laughs> Just
0: the biggest idiot and man-child that yeah. you've ever met. And right off the bat, I think we have to talk a little bit about Uh, Not just the character, but the performance by John Cusack.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: It is a testament to his performance in this movie that you just don't hate this person right off the bat.
2: Yeah, because he's so obnoxious and idiotic. And he says such annoying and sometimes offensive things that you're just like, oh, my God.
0: So horrible on so (laughs) many levels. Uh, But I just I and and we'll get into the horribleness. Trust me, we will. We will cover it. We're going to get into it. Um, and how problematic he is, but something about his character, I just is so endearing and I love his character and he's so funny. He
2: is. And he's so, even in the book, he's so on point and sort of can see things clearly in a lot of ways, even though he's an asshole and does all this terrible stuff. He does call himself out a lot on it. Um, so I think you sort of have sympathy for him because you know that he does see a lot of his own weaknesses and that helps.
0: Yeah. To such a crazy level that I wonder, I'm like, are people, are normal people who are this stupid, stupid, <laughs> not just stupid, but like mean. Yeah. And you know, he's just really awful. Are they also aware of how terrible they're being and just can't help themselves? Cause that's yeah. how Rob is. Yeah. Rob is always like. I know I should be thanking her, but I'm going to say this thing that I know will get under her skin because I just can't help myself. Yeah. I I don't know. It just had me thinking a lot about people with that mentality and whether they actually know better Mm -hmm. or whether Rob is kind of a a different case.
2: Yeah, it's complicated. (laughs) He owns a record shop and he is sort of to himself a kind of a snob, Mm -hmm. you know, and um Doesn't have a lot of outside friendships or close connections, really. He seems sort of adrift.
0: Yeah, he is kind of at that classic point in a 30-something-year-old movie character's life (laughs) where he doesn't know if he's made anything of his life, and he doesn't know if there's time left to do anything with his life, and he's kind of at a standstill. Yeah. And he has trouble committing, And he's just kind of a sad sack. He's a mess. (laughs) He is. He's a true mess.
2: And we start out the beginning of the book and movie where he and his uh, longtime girlfriend, Laura, are breaking up and she's moving out. And it sort of sets us squarely in the middle of this mess that Rob that is Rob's life, you know, and he is sort of trying to figure things out, uh, coming to terms with the breakup, figuring out what he wants to do from now on and, you know, his life in general.
0: Yeah, and uh, one of the biggest factors of Rob's personality is he's a huge music snob. Ugh, the like, worst. Like, the worst kind of person <laughs> who will try to tell you all about the bands you should be listening to, yeah. will ridicule you for liking certain bands. And he's only made bearable by the comparison of the two guys who work in the record shop he owns.
2: Dick and Barry. Dick and Barry, <laughs>
0: who... Um, Barry's definitely worse. Yeah. Barry's like more aggressive mm-hmm. with his music tastes and will really make you feel like shit. Yeah. And Dick is more, he's kind of a reserved guy. Yeah. Um, But probably even nerdier about music. hmm And is probably has like even less in his life and is just so focused on music. Yeah. That, you know... It, It's great. I love these characters. They're so funny.
2: They're so terrible. They're so mean. You know, they have this record shop that doesn't do very well financially, but they're like mean to their customers. You know, they're not trying to really like market themselves. (laughs) There's this great scene in the book and the movie where uh, an older, like middle aged guy comes into the record shop and he's like, hey, I'm looking for um, the song. I just wanted to I just wanted to call to say I love you. I yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I just called to say I love you. I just you. called to say I love you. He's like, I want to I'm, I'm get it for my daughter's birthday. <laughs> and Barry is just like, oh, yeah, we have it. And the guy's like, can can you give it to me? He's like, no, because it's terrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's like, there's no way your daughter wants that. Like, it's trash. He's like, I I yeah, she does. He's like, well, then your daughter doesn't know what's good. And he yeah. just starts like
2: ripping him and
0: and the guy finally has had it he's like i didn't know it was pick on the old man day and he just like (laughs) leaves the record shop pissed yeah and it's funny though because even while he's doing all this rob is always witnessing it yeah but never interjects he never no
2: and he he's like why'd you do that and it's sort of like don't do that but barry's like we do this all the time though like
0: yeah (laughs) and you kind of get the sense that from this that like Rob is maybe mellowing a little bit yeah you know Barry kind of says like oh back a few years ago you would have been just as upset as me and would have been running the guy out of the store but Mm -hmm. so you do get this sense that maybe uh, Rob is thinking about his life more or is just kind of mellowing out a bit with age yeah but yeah he's Dick and Barry are a good contrast to Rob and make him somewhat more (laughs) bearable bearable and palatable
2: oh my god Jack Black, though, as Barry.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: That is so... It's perfect casting, because Barry is such a wild and obnoxiously loud (laughs) piece of shit. (laughs) But he's so funny, and he says funny stuff, and Jack Black is perfect.
0: He is. Uh, I forgot to look it up, because I'm terrible, and I'm a terrible podcaster, but I'm pretty sure this was the movie that really uh, put Jack Black on the map. I mean, it makes sense. It was back in 2000. Yeah. uh, And... Although he looks just the same. He
1: does. He hasn't aged like a day <laughs> in
0: how like almost 20 years since yeah. the movie came out. Yeah, yeah, he looks just the same. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jack Black was just perfect. And the guy who plays Dick is great, too, even yeah. though I'm not this familiar with him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just... The, the casting of this movie is nine is 10s across the board. Like, it's so great. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where, where do we go next? What's uh... Uh,
2: We did talk about how um, It doesn't take place in London In the book it's in London Oh right right And in the, the movie It actually takes place in Chicago And so that's sort of the vibe And it makes sense In like the 90s And like the music scene Kind of being there And um, It it does translate well You it does. don't really notice Too much
0: Apparently Nick Hornby Was totally fine with the change He was like my book's about more than just London, so I yeah. don't care where it takes place, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it does give you, it does add a quality to the book that I appreciated by comparison to the movie where you get the the British terminology and the quirks and the, yeah. you know, the dialect a little bit more. And I, I enjoyed that a lot. Mm-hmm. All of the bollocks and the, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, the fuck offs or the, you know, whatever, like the terms they use a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. You know, adds a nice, a nice variance. Because, to be honest... English charm. English charm. (laughs) To be honest, this is quite possibly the most accurate adaptation we've discussed to date.
2: Yeah, there are not a lot of differences. There's a couple extra scenes in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just, you know, there's a scene where he goes to visit his parents. There's a a scene where he has a sad birthday alone. You know, it's just like
0: but so much of the dialogue yeah. verbatim. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes some lines are pulled from one scene and applied to another. Some scenes are switched up a little bit and obviously the book has a little bit more to it. Yeah. Um, But it's one of those novels where when I think back, the movie pretty much encapsulates
2: all, the good all good of the good
0: aspects of it. Yeah. There's a few scenes that I liked in the book that aren't in it, uh, but it gets all of the best parts correctly. Yeah, And then... So much of the dialogue, so much of it, and the way scenes play out mm-hmm. are just verbatim. Yeah. And I think that's just because Nick Hornby's writing is so good. It is. And his dialogue is so good.
2: Yeah, they wanted to keep all of it, because he didn't write the screenplay. So, you know, a lot of times that can explain sort of the, the faithfulness of the adaptation, you know, if the writer is in, or involved in the screenplay, but... Yeah, I guess the the people that did write the screenplay were like, yeah, let's keep this and this and this <laughs>
0: and this and that and they basically just like cut up the entire book and just like rearranged it on a script and yeah. you know, they were ready to go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh around this time, uh Rob gets a call from Liz, mm-hmm. a mutual friend of him and Laura's, and Liz is a great p- character played by uh J-
2: Joan Cusack. Joan
0: Cusack. Is it weird? They're John and John and Joan. Joan. Yeah, Yeah. it's
2: weird because you can like mispronounce them when say them together. Actors.
0: Yeah. Uh, but played by his real life sister Joan Cusack, Mm -hmm. and I love her so much. She's so funny. I love her. She's the principal in uh, School of Rock. Yes. Yeah. Just a lot of good roles. He'd recognize her in. Mm -hmm. Uh, but. She calls and is not taking sides at this point, and happens to mention that she's not too fond of this Ian guy
2: <laughs> that
0: Laura dating.
2: And Rob's like, "What Ian guy?" Because <laughs> <laughs> Laura moved out, and didn't say a word about anything, and then he finds out she's kind of with someone else.
0: Yeah, and he just he he go This is just like he's on the edge of this hole that he just jumps into and or falls into and yeah. just becomes absorbed and totally obsessed with this guy and Laura being with this guy and who is this guy. And it was
2: almost like he was more fine with the breakup when he didn't think there was someone else.
0: Absolutely. And then he
2: finds out there's someone else and he's like, oh my God, how could she leave me for him? And he's like obsessed with laura having sex with ian
0: (laughs) yeah that's like the one thing that plays in his head and i love the way the movie does this because uh he has like this fantasy because he realizes that this ian guy was he lived upstairs above them yeah in his flat and had moved out only like six months ago and so he knows this dude and he knows what he looks like and he suddenly has this, like, image in his head of Laura having sex with him. Yeah. And I I love it in the movie uh, when this fantasy starts. The guy she's having sex with, you know, older guy, long gray ponytail, <laughs> super goofy looking. And I'm watching it, and I was thinking, the first time I watched I'm like... Is that fucking Tim Robbins? <laughs> Are you shitting me? It is. It was, It's. He's played by Tim Robbins, and it's so perfect. Oh he's so God. funny in this part.
1: Yeah.
0: He's just this kind of aged... Uh,
1: Hippie type.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who's um, a, a counselor or something like that. Some kind of job where he's always trying to calm a situation and resolve stuff. Yeah. So he's obsessed, basically, with Tim Robbins. I mean ian (laughs) (laughs) having sex with laura and these
2: names could get real confusing (laughs) yeah yeah
0: but especially because he goes by ian and ray in the book yeah which is confusing but Mm -hmm. yeah
2: (laughs) yeah and so rob kind of starts like calling laura all the time at work and trying to get her to like meet up with him and talk and pressuring her to talk to him about has she had sex with ray or ian and you know what's What's going on? Are they getting back together? Will she get back together with him? And then he finds Ray's number in the phone book and starts calling his place and like standing outside their door and going to their house and call. And it's like, oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it kind of starts this uh, relationship, this post breakup relationship between Laura and Rob. Where he's just very pushy yeah. and obsessive and stalkerish, mm-hmm. and I think she's only, uh, not okay with it, but tolerating it because she had kind of semi cheated on him a little bit. Yeah, I shouldn't say cheated, but she kind of had this thing with.
2: I think she feels guilty. Yeah, For yeah. leaving Rob for this other guy, um, and. I'm sure she still cares for Rob in a lot of ways too. So she's sort of trying to appease Rob and, you know, wants to make sure he's okay. But yeah, he's, he just kind of goes off the deep end a little bit about this. And there's this great part where Liz is talking to him later and she's like, don't stop calling them. Like stop being crazy. Like you're before you were all just in a mess together and now you're, um, kind of putting yourself against them and turning the situation. Now they're they're feeling like you're the one that's the problem. Um, and she's just sort of giving him advice about that.
0: Yeah, and this is something that's interesting to me because we talk a lot about problematic characters yeah. in books and movies, and we're always like, is the author writing this character in a knowing way? Like, are they aware of how shitty they are, or are they making excuses for them? And I think this is a great example of the author knowing how shitty his character is.
2: And having someone else call him out about it.
0: Yeah, because he he creates this other character to call him out on his shit. And Liz is, like, always right about everything. Yeah. Uh, Liz's
2: role... In the movie <laughs> and in the book is just to call out Rob's shit. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> so I, I really like that. And that kind of is partly why I'm more okay with, I think, this book.
2: And Rob's shittiness. And
0: Rob's shittiness is because it's definitely a critique of masculinity in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the issues of Rob. And maybe it could do more to.
2: Make that clear.
0: Yeah. But I think it's definitely there. And the author does create this counter to Rob's thinking, which is important.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, There's this really great video by a pop culture detective on YouTube uh, called Stalking for Love. And it actually shows a clip of High Fidelity in it where Rob is outside in a telephone booth outside um, Laura, Laura and Rob's. Not Laura and Rob's, <laughs> Laura and Ian's place, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where he's just kind of like hanging around them. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, though, because I wouldn't say the stalking helps his case at all. No. Which is kind of.
2: But he's almost doing it to prove that he still loves her.
0: He is. But I don't think it gains him any points with Laura. No. So it's it's just interesting, like kind of the. You know, the details of it. Yeah, <laughs> so there's this great part though I want to read real quick where it's kind of it shows Rob's inability to control himself and kind of the awkwardness of him and Laura's relationship where he gets a phone call and he finds out that Laura is calling from a phone booth Yeah. or a call box, as they say. Uh. So this is the part Laura rings in the middle of RoboCop Two from a call box. This is very interesting, but maybe now is not the time to talk about why. Not with Laura anyway. Maybe later with Liz or someone, but not now. This is obvious to anyone but a complete idiot. His next line, why are you ringing from a call box? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Like him acknowledging that I should probably not bring this up if she's calling me from a phone booth and not from like
0: home home, or staying yeah. with
2: Ian, then maybe she doesn't want Ian to know that she's calling me. And he's like, why are you calling from a phone booth?
0: Only an idiot would ask this. Why are you calling from a phone booth? <laughs> There's just so many great, and I feel like, um, just his writing is so comedic. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't help but think of another book we talked about that tried to be a comedy, uh, Chris, not Christmas with the cranks, but the book, it was based oh, on skipping, skipping Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. And, Something we talked a lot about in that one was how clearly John Grisham was creating these situations that he thought were funny. Yeah. But nothing he wrote was in a funny way. You know, none of the way he discussed things or had characters speak. None of it was funny. Just the setups. Yeah. Whereas this is like all of the writing, all all of of the the dialogue. dialogue. Yeah. Everything is so witty and so funny.
2: Mm -hmm. And just that self-awareness, like Rob being like. It would be stupid to say something like this. And then he says it anyway. So it's like him acknowledging how much of an idiot he is that I just I love that.
1: Yeah.
0: But he still
2: does it. So it's like, (laughs) does he get points for being self-aware if he doesn't do anything about it? Like, (laughs) no, no, that's the one thing I've
0: determined from this book is you get no points for being self-aware. if You don't
2: do anything. (laughs) Well, and it's especially crazy because while he's going nuts over Laura being with this Ian guy, he himself. Sleeps with somebody else. Yeah. So he has an opportunity to sleep with uh, Marie de Salle or M- Marie LaSalle, depending on which version, uh, who's a, a musician that kind of he meets through the record shop.
0: Yeah. And, you know, she's kind of talented and cool. And he's quickly really into her in a lot of ways. And he talks about, uh, He finds out after talking with Laura, and this is another thing about the writing. He finds out from talking to Laura that she hasn't had sex with with Ray yet. (laughs) I almost said it. She hasn't had sex with Ray yet, and he's so happy. And he's in the movie, he's talking to the camera, and the book is just written. He's like, and I was so happy that I went straight out and slept with Marie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then it's him recapping how he did it and what happened. But
2: yeah, just that duality of being obsessed with Laura's relationship with Ian and being like upset about her eventually sleeping with Ray slash Ian. I'm sorry, I'm using two different names. It's confusing. Yeah. Um. But then sleeping with Marie and acting like it's nothing, you know, mm-hmm. and for in some ways it is nothing like nothing comes of their relationship. It's just. You know kind yeah of a one and, they, night stand and they are
0: broken up yeah you know officially him and Laura yeah but for him to be so obsessed with her and so angry about her relationship and her moving on that for him to do this is just so ridiculous
2: yeah doesn't make sense
0: but it, it's so great though in the movie as soon as he's leaving her house and he's walking away <laughs> he talks to the camera again he's like So anyway, how could Laura be with Ray? (laughs) He just immediately is back on it. Switches back
2: to Laura. (laughs) Yeah. Around this time, he decides that the only way he's going to figure out what went wrong in his life and with relationships is if he goes back and talks to all of his exes. Yes, <laughs> his top five exes, not all of them. His top 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 five desert island most memorable breakups. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this is actually where the movie like first begins: is him listing out these breakups and then going back into their past. Uh, so in this instance, he's like going through chronologically, starting with uh, his very first heartbreak, which was like just this stupid schoolyard. Thing, yeah, and but it's so funny. He talks about those early romances are the ones that hurt the most, yeah. And he tells Laura, even if you wanted to hurt me, you should have got to me sooner.
2: yeah and like his first girlfriend Allison from like 8th grade you know they made out a couple times in the park and then one day she's making out with someone else you know Yeah, he's like that rejection like cut the deepest cause it was my first experience <laughs> with it
0: it lasted like a total of 6 hours he said like <laughs> out of like 3 days they met up and made out for like 2 hours each Like, six hours total.
2: So he, like, calls up her parents and tries to find out what happened to her. And then he finds out she actually married the guy that she left him for. Mm -hmm. So he's like, this is great. It was fate. Like, it was meant to be. She didn't reject me. Like, she was supposed to marry him. John
0: Cusack is so ecstatic when he finds out. You like, can't believe that they ended up marrying each other. And he's just like, I want more of this. I want to find out what happened to all of them. (laughs) Uh, so then he moves on to number two. Penny. Penny. Now, Penny's is by far the most problematic problematic.
2: <laughs> so Penny, they were dating in high school. I think they were about 16. and they were in that stage where they were not having sex but kind of, you know, trying to like grope each other and like making out a lot and stuff. But basically it was kind of like a one-sided thing because it was mostly Rob trying to, touch Penny's boobs, and Penny being like, no, stop doing that, and then him being like, okay, I'm just going to do it again.
0: Yeah, and just, like, attack and defend, as he put it, attack and defend, and he kind of lists his, like, high school views of it, which are so terrible, but he was also in high school, so, you know, some leniency has to be given, I guess, you know, everyone's kind of an idiot in high school, but, yeah, just this problematic... Relationship of him kind of assaulting her constantly.
2: Yeah, and not respecting what she wants and like her boundaries and everything. Yeah, and basically breaks up with her because she won't have sex with him. <laughs> and uh, then a few days later, he finds out that she had sex with some other guy that she went out with, and he's like crushed. He's like the feeling the most rejected ever. Like, how could she? not do it with me and then do it with this other guy.
0: Yeah, and it's, like, always troubled him. It's always, it was, like, one of the biggest rejections of his life. And so he meets Penny at a restaurant. Yeah. And they're talking, and and she's being very nice and everything. Yeah. And they're getting dinner, and he asks her. Out of the blue. Yeah, out of nowhere. He's like, so why'd you sleep with Gary? (laughs) And she's immediately just super pissed. And she just kind of goes off on him, and she's like, you know, she's like I I really liked you a lot, uh Rob, I really liked you and I wanted to have sex with you, but not when I was 16 and that's not you, you didn't want anything but that. So you broke up with me. She's like you broke up with me. You broke
2: my heart.
0: And then Gary asked me out and I w- I was so like annoyed at you that I went out with him and I was so like And he like we went to his car and I was so tired and I couldn't fend him off anymore. And it wasn't rape because I said, okay, but it wasn't far off. Yeah. And and she just like ends up calling him an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) And Rob's reaction immediately was, oh, my God, I rejected her. That's right. (laughs) I dumped her this
1: This is is great
0: this is so great
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah like totally glossing over the fact that you know penny was in a situation that is probably classified as rape in nowadays i would say yeah maybe not then but even she says like it wasn't quite rape but it wasn't far off from that
0: yeah and that she couldn't even have sex until after college yeah because of it Mm -hmm. and After this whole reveal and her kind of like bearing her soul about this and leaving pissed off, Rob is once again just totally self-centered. Yeah,
2: he's like, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like this is as good to him as finding out about Allison, the first girlfriend. He's just like so happy about it.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Then he decides to skip number three, Charlie, on his list because she is by far the biggest, the college Girlfriend, The big college
1: girlfriend. That he
0: can't face. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the girl he rebounded with after her. Yeah. And she's, I kind of like this character too. Sarah, yeah. They both were just like miserable and angry at the world and decided to just be miserable and angry together. Yeah. And he was mostly upset about it because she broke up with him. And he's like, "You're breaking the rules of our contract. We're supposed to be angry and hateful together. We're gonna
2: be. We were. Rege- we were both rejected. We can't reject each other. Like it's not part of the deal." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, basically, he just finds out she's still kind of like a bummer, and not, yeah, and she's not sad here. and
2: alone again. Like the guy that she left. Rob for left her and she almost makes it seem like she could get back together with Rob. But Rob is like, you know, my life is bad, but it's not that bad. So I'm going to pass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And so uh, then there's a character in the book who we like he mentions briefly, like yeah. another high school relationship, mm-hmm. but isn't in the movie.
2: Yeah. They gloss over that.
0: Mm hmm. And so he decides to go after Charlie. Mm hmm. Uh, And Charlie is such an interesting relationship and past for him. Yeah. She's this girl he met in college and she was incredibly interesting to him. Yeah. She always had interesting things to say and interesting opinions. And and she was
2: sophisticated and glamorous and artsy and and
0: cool. Cool. And as he put it, in two, two years into the relationship, he never got comfortable. Yeah. Because he always felt like she was too good for him mm-hmm. and too cool. And he was always convinced she'd leave him for someone else. Which of course she eventually did. <laughs> yeah.
2: And he calls her up and ends up hanging hanging out with her again. She invites him to this party that she's mm-hmm. throwing with Uh, some friends and he goes and of course it's this rich kind of snobby crowd that he just can't talk to. You know, he has nothing to say to them. And he realizes that Charlie is terrible and he's like (laughs) questioning. He's like, was she always this way? And I was just like totally blind to her faults because I was so in love with her or did she just like get worse over time? You know, what was it? But I love this because it's almost like him like realizing he, he idolized her so much, you know, like he talks about how after she left him, he kind of went into this crazy time in his life where he dropped out of college. He ended up working in a record store, sort of lost the track of his life.
0: (laughs) As he put it, I think some people never got over Vietnam. Oh yeah. I never got over Charlie
2: (laughs) and kind of blames all his troubles on her. Like if he hadn't have lost her, he would have been better. And then now looking at her and seeing what she's like and realizing that she wasn't really all that he made her out to be.
0: Yeah. That's why I liked this one the most was because he realized his whole perception of her was wrong. You know, other people he realized like with Penny, oh, I broke up with her, not the reverse. Yeah. But with this, he was like, she was always kind of terrible. And I just always idolized her. Mm -hmm. And it was this really stupid, messed up relationship. Yeah. And I love the scenes like with her, like hoity-toity kind of friends and their conversations. And there's a line in the book that I love (laughs) so much where he's so uncomfortable as soon as he gets to the party. Yeah. And they're talking about if they owned a dog, what they're, what, they would name it
2: not if they not the ones that have a dog they don't no no one no one has a dog <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he they ask him and he's like i'm i don't know i'm not too keen on dogs <laughs> and they ask like oh is there a reason why and he says i don't know i'm just i shrug hopelessly you know not very keen they smile politely As it turns out, this is my major contribution to the evening's conversation, (laughs) and later on I find myself recalling the line wistfully as belonging to a golden age of wit. (laughs) I'd even use it again again if I could, but the rest of the topics for the discussion don't give me the chance. Oh my god. (laughs) He reflects on it as the golden age of wit.
1: You know,
2: not too keen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't know. I know I keep talking about how great the writing is, but... It's a 300-page book, and I'm not usually as drawn to books that are just about, uh, like, subjects of relationships or things that are more everyday. But this book was just so easy to read, and once I started, I I was just so drawn into it and loved reading it so much. Mm -hmm. And I got the same level of enjoyment out of it as I do watching the movie, which I didn't think would be the case, Yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) uh. Yeah, and then the final list the final girlfriend on the list.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh we mentioned the book included this one girl who was mentioned, you know, who was in high school. In the movie they in the movie though, they change it up a little bit yeah. where he confesses that the girl he mentioned as being fifth on his list was really just a placeholder because he didn't want to admit that Laura was actually on the top five.
2: Yeah, and it hurt him just as much as the other ones, mm-hmm. if not more. And there's a part two where he's kind of talking about how he and Laura first started dating um, and they were younger and he was uh, actually doing DJ stuff and she came to his the place he was doing um, his DJing and she was younger and she's Laura is a lawyer um, but she was doing kind of more legal aid work And had like spiky hair, you know, leather jacket. (laughs) She was all cool. And they met, started talking about music and then started going out. But um, Laura definitely changes through their relationship as one does. Like she gets a better job at an actual law firm. You know, she starts making more money. She starts wearing like professional attire because she has a better job and she can't wear her leather jacket to work, you know. Um, Basically, she starts doing the things that you do when you move from your 20s to your 30s, which is you kind of settle down a bit. You know, you settle into your career. You start doing different things, wanting different things. Um, But Rob doesn't want any of that.
0: Yeah. Rob just kind of stays stagnant. And there's a great line in the book and movie where she says, you haven't changed so much as a pair of socks since I've known you. Yeah. And basically just calling him out that him... The problem isn't her changing, but him just staying the same and never adjusting to anything.
2: Yeah, because he's always like you, you know, you were different before and now you're just some corporate lawyer. And like, I know you hate your job. And she's like, no, I like my job. Like, I like what I do. I, you know, I like um, feeling like I'm advancing and doing well in my career. It's you know, you have to change like it's part of life. And, you know, this is sort of like Rob has a lot of warped views on that as well um, and on relationships as well
0: yeah yeah he uh uh, there's so much there's so much interesting insight in the book I kind of feel like Nick Hornby would agree would be a great stand-up comedian yeah in a lot of ways because he brings that um insight to things that you never really think about it from that perspective but is very interesting and usually pretty relevant yeah uh and one of the things I thought was most interesting was he, he was talking about when women and people talk about uh, the, the the comparisons of women to, like, um, supermodels and, like, the body comparisons yeah. and, like, the, you know, what women have to try to live up to. Unrealistic
2: expectations. Thank you. I could not. I don't know why I was, like,
0: forgetting that phrase.
1: <laughs> the unrealistic you know.
0: expectations that are placed on women and their bodies and stuff. But what Rob says is, you know, He's like, I've never felt that way. He's like, I always have known that like women aren't going to be
1: look like, supermodels. look like supermodels.
0: But his unrealistic expectations of women has to do with the amount of um, how much how into the guy they're dating. The women will be how
2: much love and attention they shower on to men.
0: Yeah. And how their lives will like revolve around the man. And yeah. he talks about like a Bond movie. I I forget which one, but. The way such and such looks at Roger Moore in, you know, whatever the movie is, he's like, that's what I wanted out of a relationship was for a woman to look at me like that all the time. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting, like that being even higher up than like body expectations.
2: Yeah. And I think that's important. Like, I think pop culture in a lot of ways, you know gives us this idea of what relationships should be like and you know in all the movies and in the books and everything everything is so intense and he talks about this in like music too how you want to feel the intensity of love or the you know crushing sadness of heartbreak there's like no in between and you can't really make good art about having like a solid and steady relationship, you know? So then those aren't the ideals that you strive for and you find yourself, you know, discontented in a relationship where things are going just fine, you know?
0: Yeah, that that passionate and interest and like flirtation and excitement mm-hmm. of when you first meet someone is
2: is the high. Is
0: the high. It's everything he's been led to believe is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then when it settles, he's like he's not content. And it's funny. He even talks about with Laura, you know, it seemed like a boring relationship. Yeah. And he he was like, to be honest, it was pretty good. Yeah. Like all of it was really great. He just, he, he knows he like admits it, that it was really good, but there's just a part of him that, It's not what he expected. It's not satisfied. Yeah.
2: He talks about, too, this is a very specific example, how he always imagined it would be so cool for a woman to live with him because her underwear would just be everywhere, (laughs) and he would just be surrounded by sexy underwear, and then... You know, Laura moves in with him and he realizes that, oh, women do the same thing that guys do, which is wear their best underwear when they know they're gonna have sex with someone and then save all their other like cotton regular underwear for like the rest of the time. (laughs) And he's like very betrayed and disappointed about this fact. Like he's, he brings it up multiple times. Like the fact that I thought all women's underwear was like super sexy. And then he's just like, oh, this is like women are people.
0: Which I mean, <laughs> how could you possibly think that? Like, I
2: don't know.
0: <laughs> Rob is really the he's so much of what's wrong and like toxic about masculinity and yeah. like those expectations all rolled up into one terrible burrito person.
2: Well, and he also he he says that he thought that Laura would save him, like that she would rescue him and mm-hmm. sort of give his life meaning. And it's super interesting because, like, they talk about this more in the book for sure. But um, Rob sort of realizes after he and Laura break up that his life basically revolved around Laura. And even though he was like, I'm fine with her gone, he realizes really quickly, like, all of his friends were her friends. He would hang out with her all the time. He doesn't really have a close network of people to rely on now that she's left him. And, you know, that's a really troubling thing. Like, Laura. was able to kind of, like, have her career and her friends and stuff, whereas Rob was really left adrift because he had no one after the breakup.
0: Yeah, and it was funny the way he assigns, like, kind of gender roles to this, too. Yeah. He talks about how it's usually the woman's role where To she, lose
2: herself in a...
0: Yeah, where she kind of, like, lets her friends go and then start becomes friends with the guy's friends and kind of really... um Adopts his lifestyle and friends and all of those. And he said, in this case, it was the reverse. Yeah. Where he did that with her friends and her, you know, life. But I just thought it was interesting that he said, you know, he assigned them gender roles in a way.
2: Yeah. He definitely has certain expectations about how things are going to go. And surprisingly, that does not happen for him.
0: No. (laughs) Yeah. So their their relationship uh, has always been a turbulent one. Yeah. But... Is, is very interesting in a lot of lot of aspects, especially Rob.
2: Yeah. He needs to go to therapy. <laughs> that's the verdict.
0: But that's, everyone needs to everyone go to
2: therapy. Everyone should go to therapy. <laughs>
0: if there was like one, you know, if there was one piece of advice that would save so many people, in so many different regards, it would just be go to therapy.
2: Everyone just go to therapy. But Rob definitely needs to go. He has a lot of weird ideas about what relationships are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So this is where the book and movie kind of take a twist turn where Laura's dad passes away. Yeah. And something about this plot point is so perfect because it's just so... Realistic, yeah, in a way of
2: what would happen in a situation like that. Yeah, Laura calls Rob, and then she asks him to come to the funeral and stuff, and he sort of finds himself pulled back into Laura's sphere for this time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but you know, it makes so much sense. Like if they were together for so long, that she would want him there, you know, and that she would sort of turn to him in that time, especially because he knew her dad and her family and everything.
0: Yeah, and you know, uh, his her sister always liked Rob mm-hmm. and her dad had always liked him apparently and so that's kind of he he feels more compelled to go and he's just such an idiot in both like the book and the movie but he ends up going and uh you know attends the funeral and then the after the what what, what is it like the, not the party after but yeah
2: I guess like The wake or whatever. Is that what that. I don't know. When you kind of hang out and eat afterwards
0: (laughs) and talk. What's like a party, but really depressing. (laughs) That part of the funeral. Yeah. Uh, And he ends up getting in a fight with Liz where once again, she calls him out on his shit. shit. (laughs) He's being all like sad sack and making it about him. And he gives a line like, I can't go I can't go the rest of my life just apologizing for everything all the time. And Liz mm-hmm. says, I think just the once would do. <laughs> and
2: you're, <laughs> and you're like, oh. So tr- and he just,
0: <laughs> he leaves. He he just has to, like, leave the party.
2: Yeah. But Laura follows him out. And um, she asks him to get in her car and kind of drives him somewhere. And it's just like, I couldn't be in there anymore. Like, I just needed a break. And
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, she asks him to have sex with her.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I have a quick thing, a little, sorry, oh, a little yeah. side thing where... Reading the book, I started to think, you know, we were talking about how accurate the movie is to the book. And in a way, I think sometimes it's almost too accurate. Yeah. Because in the movie, he's waiting for the bus after he leaves the wake and he sees Laura's car pull up and he immediately panics and jumps behind a fence to hide from her. Now, in the movie... I I guess I got that. I'm like, okay, I guess he's just, why is he hiding? Why is he hiding though? Yeah. I'm like, I guess he's a little freaked out, but why is he hiding Mm -hmm. in the book though? He explains how he kind of left in somewhat of a public way. Like everyone noticed and he kind of sulked out. And so when he sees her car, he thinks she's pissed and is like coming after him. Mm -hmm. So that's why he hides. And it made so much more sense reading in the book. I'm like, okay, I understand that now. And I get his motivation Whereas in the movie, it seemed like a funny thing.
2: That he just suddenly jumped behind a fence and is, like, on the ground while yeah. it's raining.
0: And it, it didn't make much sense to me. And I, I kind of laughed because I'm like, it's rare that a movie's actually too faithful to the point that...
2: It doesn't quite make sense.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were a few moments in the book reading it that were like that, where when I thought back to the movie, I'm like, oh, that makes a little bit more sense now. Mm-hmm. I get the context of this a little bit more now. Yeah. So... Yeah, just an interesting thing that can come up with adaptations, I think.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Anyway, Laura (laughs) asks Rob to have sex with her. Mm -hmm. And uh, things play out very differently in the book and in the movie. So in the book, uh, they are going to have sex. And then Rob kind of brings up the fact that she slept with someone else. And I guess she didn't use protection during that. Yeah. And it's sort of like we shouldn't have sex because we don't have a condom and you slept with someone else, you know, because that, you know, we don't want to like we want to be safe, basically. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that is totally fine. But he does it in a way that's sort of mean.
0: Well, he he admits that the main reason he did it was because he knew it would hurt her.
2: Yeah. Like on her dad's funeral day.
0: This was on her
2: dad's funeral day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This was the point where I was finally like fucking done with Rob's shit. Yeah. Especially because there's a line in the book before this where he talks about wanting to be there for Laura. He wanted to be different. He suddenly had this like moment of realizing he wanted to be a part of her life and be better. And when he hugs her, he realizes he didn't have to change because he already was a different person. Oh, yeah. And then immediately, immediately he is once again obsessed with Ray having sex with her. Yeah. And then is saying and doing shit to make her upset. To make her feel bad about it, too. And
2: again, there's nothing wrong with being like, we need to be safe. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that at all. And Rob has every right to do that. But he specifically says in the book that he brought it up to hurt her. Not he was, you know, there is the fact that you're worrying about, you know, safe sex, but he did it because he just wanted her to feel bad. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. Like (laughs) and they do, you know, they don't have sex, but they do go to like a a restaurant and just kind of talk, which is good. Like they still have that connection where they talk together and sort of reconnect and are are more candid with each other, I think, than they have been in a while. Um, But in the movie, things play out differently they actually they do have end up having sex
0: yeah where you know it's the same dialogue leading up to it and then instead of being a huge tool and being mean to her yeah (laughs) they just have sex
1: Mm -hmm. although
0: this was another thing where in my head I'm like Rob is soaking wet right now (laughs) and she's clearly upset and they came back from a funeral I'm like would you be able to perform (laughs) in these circumstances? I don't know. (laughs) Like I cannot imagine a situation where that would be like desirable in any situation. So yeah, I kind of, I appreciated the book uh, scene a little bit more because it played out at least a little bit more realistically in a way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but they have sex in the movie. Yeah. And then from this point on, when they go back to the wake, Laura and him kind of decide or she mostly decides she's like, you know, I want to be with you. Uh, You kind of wore me down. She
2: basically says, I'm too tired not to be with you. <laughs> and he's like, so if you had a little more energy, we would stay broken up. And she's like, yeah, probably. <laughs> and there, there's a great part in the book where she says, you know, I thought that when we broke up, it would just be like uh, cutting one string. You know, just cutting the string of our relationship and that would be it. But it turns out that there are a lot of strings that tie us together and you know, it is a lot of work to cut all those strings. And I totally agree. You know, you're with someone for a long time. You have a lot that binds you together. So to disentangle yourself from that is really difficult. And it's, you know, you usually can't do it all at once.
0: It's like an effort, I'm sure. Yeah. like She says, I'm just too tired Mm -hmm. to keep doing that. It's almost like an action to remove yourself from that person. Yeah. And I'm
2: sure with her father, you know, dying, she just wants to feel comforted and close to someone.
0: Mm-hmm. I was going to say, especially when you're with Rob, <laughs> who is stalking you and calling you constantly. <laughs> he and
2: won't sh- let you, t- uh, like, clip those strings. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, He'll fight you off actively. <laughs> uh, so, basically, from this point, they move back in together. And in the movie, things seem pretty good for a while. Yeah, You know, they're kind of happy again. It shows
2: these cute moments with them.
0: hmm And... But the book we get what is described as a series of five conversations that basically just escalate. So the first one is her kind of picking on Rob a little bit and like making fun of him and he's going along with it. Yeah. Uh, The second one is about is that the argument about the artists, the music artists or something? Yeah,
2: something like that. Mm -hmm. And
0: then like the following argument is just all out. About their lives and, you know, her saying your life isn't going anywhere. And he's like, oh, so you're saying you want children. Is that it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love these conversations that they have because they're just they're at least being real with each other. You know what I mean? And Laura is I feel like this time around Laura is sort of like not taking Rob's crap as much.
0: Yeah. Like
2: there's a part where they're talking, they're arguing about artists and um, and she's like, we're in my car. We get to listen to what I want to listen to. And like, these are the things I like. And I respect that you like your things. but You can't force your interests on me. Like I'm my own person, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stands up for herself more.
0: Yeah. And, and and I think this is also better than the movie and that in the movie at this point, you know, Rob is still doing some shit yeah. and still being a shitty person. But Laura kind of has a air about her of being very happy yeah, and kind of not caring about that stuff mm-hmm. and almost just giving the impression that like things are okay now because Laura learned to stop caring yeah. about how Rob's behaving. I
2: guess that's sort of true yeah. I it's kind
0: of how about it feels way. to me a little yeah. bit you know that almost seems like that's the resolution mm-hmm. now Rob does finally by the very end start to change yeah, and you are a little hopeful about it but part of you also feels like Well, it seems like Laura would just be fine with him no matter what. Like, I'm glad Rob's changing, but she also seems to be super happy now about everything and everything's fine regardless.
2: Yeah. And we didn't mention this before, but um, before they broke up, Rob actually cheated on Laura. Oh, yeah. And um, it was this whole thing. And part of the reason why they did break up was just sort of like the continuing fallout from it. But um, and Laura sort of decided to stay with him for a while. But yeah, Laura put up with like so much from him. It's yeah. almost like, why? Though?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And oh, my God. Yeah. Just so much she has learned to forgive, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I did like this factor in the book where they are still arguing and she is still challenging him on stuff. And there's clearly still tension. Yeah. It's so exhausting. Like even reading about it. I'm
2: like, how can you live like this? <laughs> <I know. laughs>
0: like, how can two people have so many arguments? I can't even imagine it. Yeah. Uh, but it is a more in a way, a healthier dynamic dynamic and a more realistic one considering everything that's happened.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, they're back together and then she sort of arranges this surprise for him where um, she kind of puts together this uh, new DJing thing where he does a DJ night and um, then Barry's band is going to perform on it too. (laughs) And in the movie, there's also a storyline where he's producing uh, this... Record for these two teenagers.
0: Yeah, yeah. And their
2: their new CD is coming out, and so he's. It's sort of also like a an album release party as well. Mm-hmm. And this is cool too. In the movie, it sort of gives Rob sort of a storyline where he's starting to do more and like kind of get his life into shape like starting to produce music
0: yeah in the scene where he agrees to put out these two kids record yeah you know it's kind of a spontaneous decision it seems yeah but also maybe probably something he's thought about for a while and Mm -hmm. i like seeing that step of progress
2: showing initiative
0: yeah earlier in the movie because in the book Rob doesn't even begin to change a little bit like until the very end. Yeah. There's like a shimmer <laughs> of hope that maybe this piece of shit person.
2: Man child. Man
0: child can get a little better and yeah. maybe grow up a little bit. There's just a hint of it. Yeah. Uh, but in the movie we get this idea earlier. Yeah. You know um, he she, uh, Laura finds a list of top five professions he'd like to have earlier in the movie And then he agrees to do this record earlier. And so we see this kind of more gradual transition of him becoming more of a mature person. Yeah. Which is nice to have a little bit of a break.
1: It is nice. And a
0: little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit more hope for Rob, I guess, as a character.
2: Yeah. And this is another scenario where Laura is doing something really nice for Rob or is just being like a good person and he's sort of like, Oh yeah, thanks, I guess, for putting this together. But he's also like pissed at her for putting it together. Yeah. He's like, Oh, now I have to like figure out what songs I'm gonna I'm gonna play and I'm anxious <laughs> about it and doesn't really thank her like he should. Yeah. It's like, come on.
0: Even in the book, he's <laughs> like pissed off and yelling at her about it and yeah. he's like, if I was a normal person I would know well enough to like thank her for helping me and that mm-hmm. she's the best thing that's ever happened to me and I would agree to never leave her <laughs> uh, but I can't help myself and I'm going to be angry about it
2: yeah and like during this too he gets interviewed by this music journalist and ends up sort of like falling half in love with her and he's like making her mixtape and it's this whole thing and then partway into it it doesn't go on for very long. He just realizes what's <laughs> happening, and he's like, "Are you kidding me? Like, I'm doing this again." And I and I do think that's good, and it is progress. Like yeah. him realizing, like, I can't keep living my life this way. Like, kind of falling in love with anyone who shows an interest in him.
0: Mm-hmm. I love in the movie he's just <laughs> falling into this, and he's making her the mixtape, and he's talking to the camera like, "There's a few key rules about making a mixtape. Yeah, you want to start off this way, and then." And then he just, he's like, when the fuck is this gonna stop? He like throws the (laughs) headphones off. (laughs) But uh, something I love about this kind of arc at the end, I guess, like, is that most movies and books would stop when they get back together. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, and this is. And then they
2: got back together. The happy,
0: shining moment where you know everything's gonna be okay in the end. Yeah. And they show, though, in this story that it's still so easy to fall into your old ways yeah. and that just being in a relationship isn't enough no, to save you that you still have to willingly make a change and
2: make yourself a better person.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I do, even though it's very exhausting It is to like see him start to do this again, mm-hmm. it's so realistic and it's so great to see that acknowledge that, you know it can still easily happen
2: yeah and you do you are happy that rob can at least acknowledge like when he's falling into that pattern Mm -hmm. you know and so this him realizing that he's falling into the pattern prompts him to ask laura to marry him (laughs) (laughs) and she just laughs at him when he asks her she was like just yesterday you were making a tape for that one girl like she knew what he was doing you know and he sort of explains it to her and justifies himself and And just kind of saying like I don't want to live in this fantasy where I'm kind of jumping from one girl to the next because I don't have to deal with the reality of what relationships are which is hard work and like not all glamorous you know sparkly love stuff you know um and she does understand I think and appreciate what he's saying but she's also like I mean, did you really think I was going to say yes?
0: Yeah. But, and that's another moment where the movie, another, yeah. another movie would have had her say yes, and then they get married, and that's the end. That's mm-hmm. the happy. But she says no, and we never do get a different answer no. in either story. Mm-mm. But you can tell she appreciates it. Yeah. Because she knows it was a big step for him that he's being. To
2: acknowledge. Yeah.
0: That. And that he's being sincere about what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So it's a good scene. I enjoy it a lot. And in the book. The book does something really funny and smart with this scene that I I wasn't expecting. But so the scene, the one chapter ends with him at the bar waiting to talk to this journalist. He's going to meet her for a drink. Yeah. Right. And he's having all these thoughts about, like, I'm just jumping from one rock to the other, blah, blah, blah. And then the next scene starts off with she came in and he's sitting You know and you know she in quotes yeah he's sitting with his beer and she starts talking and sorry for being late and then he asks her to marry him and you realize that it's Laura yeah and the scene has changed Mm -hmm. but I really loved that
2: faking you out of it
0: exactly like even though I could kind of tell where it was going. I thought that was a really funny, interesting thing to kind of... Yeah,
2: he was changing, like, the narrative, you know, mm-hmm. and that plot line, he was, like, changing it from, like, oh, and then he met that journalist in the bar, and they met up, and instead he was like, I'm going to meet Laura, and I'm going to ask her to marry me, you know.
0: Yeah, and you don't even know what had happened to the journalist meeting he was going to have, but it just transitions to this scene with Laura. Mm-hmm. One of those things that... Could only have been done in a book medium. Yeah. You couldn't have done that fake out. No. Really yeah. in a movie. So I always appreciate when uh, a medium does something like that that can only be done in a book or a movie.
2: Yeah. It takes advantage of what it can do. hmm Yeah. And... So it does kind of leave this on a, a good note with them, and they have the the party, the record release party, the DJ thing, and Barry's band does play, and Rob's been so worried about it because he thinks Barry's band is going to be just the worst, <laughs> and then they just do covers, um, and there's this great, great part in the movie <laughs> where Jack Black, as Barry, uh, sings Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. <laughs> and it's so good. Like, like just go listen uh, to that. And him just singing it is so funny.
0: The moment he belts out those first few notes. Yeah. And Rob's head just jerks up because he <laughs> realizes Barry can actually sing and he's really good. Yeah. And th- that's why this is the perfect Jack Black role. It he is. He gets to be super crazy, a huge ass but funny, and then he gets to sing at the end. Does this
2: over-the-top singing <laughs> performance. It's so good. And
0: all the women just like immediately like flock to the front of the <laughs> stage. <laughs> it's, it's such a good moment. I love it.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the book and movie actually end on the same kind of voiceover where Rob is saying that he wants to make a mixtape for Laura. Mm-hmm. And I really like this line where he says, I'm going to make a mixtape With songs that she would like, not stuff that I want her to like, stuff that I know that would make her happy. And then he says, for the first time, I I think I know how I can do that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe you're not the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I know.
0: It's a really sweet, thoughtful moment. And that's, you know... It's such a trudging experience to go through this with Rob. It
1: is. (laughs) Uh, But
0: I think it's all the more impactful the little progress he does make by the end of the movie. Yeah, you're just,
2: you need something. Yeah. But it
0: feels really earned. It does. And realistic in the sense that, like, I think he's going to be an okay person. Like, I think he can grow. You don't know.
2: Yeah, and there's potential for him. Exactly.
0: So, you know. It's um, it's a journey for sure. <laughs>
2: it is a journey. <laughs> but
0: I do like that aspect of it as opposed to suddenly he's the greatest guy ever. Yeah. He, and, and
2: or she changes him and makes him a better person. Yeah. You know? I yeah. don't like that narrative either. I do think being with people can help you um, change in small ways, you mm-hmm. know, and help you. But you definitely have to want that and change yourself yeah um so yeah i did like that his focus was on doing something to make laura happy instead of wanting the focus to be on himself because rob is such a self-absorbed person (laughs) he is remarkably self-absorbed like the whole time all he thinks about is himself and his relationship to others are only in the context of himself uh
1: yeah
0: yeah (laughs) was it were you telling me that, like, you read a lot of reviews about this book that guys were like, this is, like, the best representation of being in a guy's head ever or Yeah, something. I think
2: it was kind of touted as, like an accurate representation of men and how they think, which if that's true, I'm very sad. (laughs) (laughs) But even the author said like he would get women that like to read it because they wanted like kind of insight into men a Mm -hmm. little bit. And he, he said something like, Um, I would do a lot of readings and there would be couples there and he would just be reading something and the girl would just like nudge her boyfriend. (laughs) He's like just tons of nudges like the
1: whole time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. I do think, sadly, I mean, you know, obviously not a.
1: Not all men. No, not all men. (laughs)
0: Adina, Adina, not all men feel this way. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, in all seriousness, I do think this book represents how a lot of men feel and behave. Yeah. And probably with even less self-awareness than Rob. Oh, much
1: less (laughs) self-awareness, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But people might be right that this is a great insight into men. I hope it's not. Yeah. Um, but you know, I guess looking at dudes in general, it probably is to an extent.
2: Well, and the book I, we talked about this earlier, but about how kind of Rob got lost in the relationship with Laura and sort of those expectations about how a woman is going to just be everything to a man. Yeah. Kind of fill all his holes, like be his partner, also his best friend and like everything to him and how like women usually have a network of friends around them and men usually don't you know like friends they can talk to yeah. and so it's a lot more devastating for men when a woman leaves them and mm-hmm. you definitely see this in Rob yeah. for and, sure
0: and Laura I think talks about this in the book where she has a whole point about how her problems she has a lot of problems that like relate to like her life and her job yeah. and stuff and things that she's confused about but her point is that when she breaks up with Rob or when they're not together, her life doesn't cease to exist. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And there's another line where separate, but Liz is talking to Rob and she was like, you, she's like, don't you, you just think that, Everyone else in your life is a side character in the story of in the movie of Rob. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, isn't that true for everyone? <laughs> <laughs> that everyone's just a side character in your own life story.
2: Yeah, I mean, which is true, but I think most people know that everyone else has their own interior lives going on and like, yeah. things. Yeah,
0: but I, I liked Laura's point though about you know, she has her own shit yeah. and it's not always tied to him mm-hmm. and that she leads her own life and that he needs to do that too.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, also a little, another little side thing. Um, Nick Hornby was sort of interviewed about maybe writing a sequel to this and mm. I don't think he ever will. He talked about kind of wanting to, but not having enough ideas for it. But he did say that he's, he thinks that they would Rob and Laura would have a kid at least by now yeah. and that they would not be together.
0: Oh no. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Why did he have to say that? If he's I not know. gonna write the if he's not gonna write the sequel, what just What right
2: has he to say anything? I
0: know. Just keep it to yourself, Nick Hornby.
2: Yeah. I mean it's sort of like a realistic view. Like two people like Rob and Laura. They would probably, probably have a kid by now and they'd probably not be together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: probably. But I don't know we can still hope I I still like to think that it's not definitive maybe he changed that's why that's you know that's why I don't think a sequel would be satisfying because if he did change well then you know
2: what's there to talk about What's the plot
0: and if he didn't well then that kind of takes all depressing all (laughs) of the progress and hope out of the first book yeah Yeah. exactly so I just need that hint that hint of a possibility Mm -hmm. so
2: so which one's better
0: oh my god don't don't start with me. I'm still. I'm still processing it.
2: Um, I'm gonna say I maybe enjoy the movie more. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's better necessarily. Um, I think I enjoy it more because it's a little more hopeful. Yeah. Um, the ending seems a lot more uh, optimistic for Rob and Laura, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. and
2: for Rob in general. Also, Rob is. There's just like a lot more time in the book for Rob to be shitty. Yeah. And so you're kind of hit over the head with it. And it's a lot. Um, There were moments where I was like, oh, my God. I don't know if I can keep reading. But it was so funny and great that you wanted to keep reading. Um, But, yeah, I might enjoy watching the movie more because, yeah, he's shit. He is. But less so and John Cusack is so charming you know he sort of makes you like him no matter what
0: yeah reading this book I was very curious I'm like is is Rob gonna be totally unlikable because he's so terrible and John Cusack isn't there to like inject that likability into the role yeah uh which isn't true you know Rob no. is still I still really like Rob in the book as well but you're right. John Cusack's performance goes so far yeah. in making you like the character and relate to him despite all of his problems. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus you
2: get to hear like a lot of music in the movie yeah. too, which is such a huge part of the book. The music that they listen to, their record shop and everything mm-hmm. kind of really brings it more
0: involved. Yeah, and I also think I'm going to say the movie. Yeah, And this isn't You know, they're different mediums, and you do get more out of the book in ways, and there are things I like about the book more, but I can't help but feel to an extent that when the movie captures like the essence of the book so well, with so much of the best lines and dialogue, and... You know, does it in two hours? Yeah. As opposed to reading an entire book, mm-hmm. like that's definitely a factor. It's
2: very tempting, you when, know. When I
0: can, when I would think about just rereading this book, like I might someday, but also the movie gives me kind of the same feeling and the same basic points. Yeah. And it's two hours.
2: Exactly. <laughs> that's
0: kind of an <laughs> element. Like I feel like that's a terrible basis. Uh, and comparison to make the time's a factor, but yeah.
2: Also, I feel like the book could have maybe been edited a bit more, probably. Like, it was good and I liked it, but it did feel a little long sometimes, a little it, bit. Yeah, there's just a lot of Rob talking about stuff like mm-hmm. to himself, and I'm like, okay, like <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm amazed though by how much I. Um, Of the insight and thoughts that Rob has are interesting and like, yeah, he has a lot of insight. Yeah, which I I thought, you know, I was constantly, even up till the end, being like, oh, yeah, that's really funny or that's really interesting to put it that way or to have that view on something. And And you
2: do get more of that in the book, which is cool.
0: Yeah. And you'd think in a 300 page book that there'd be a lot more, I guess just padding and you could argue that is padding but i guess it's interesting padding it is that yeah wasn't boring mm-hmm. <laughs> so
2: so maybe slightly movie
0: slightly movie a tweak you know in the movie's favor yeah so <laughs> yeah the movie movie when's the last time we disagreed on one i don't know I feel like it's been a while it has
2: been we need to start disagreeing more. we do this is unacceptable <laughs>
0: <laughs> how dare you
2: we're gonna get angry complaints from well, listeners
0: i think part of it is i will usually if i'm a little mixed a lot of times side with you
2: yeah you let me go first a lot i do <laughs> i i have opinions
0: because <laughs> i'm you you convince me a lot of times and i'm like yeah, know, you're right. Next it, time I'll let you go first. Oh no, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you gotta just decide.
0: That's probably the better thing to do because <laughs> I usually haven't decided fully by the time I come to the episode. <laughs> so, yeah. Slightly movie. S- slightly movie. Let's do lightning round. Lightning round. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to bring up was this quote that I just laughed out loud so hard at when I first <laughs> read it, but it's from a scene where he's just totally exhausted by not being with Laura and this horrible dinner he was at and so the line is um so now what it feels as though I've come to the end of the line I don't mean that in the American rock and roll suicide sense. I mean it in the English Thomas the Tank Engine sense. I've run out of puff and come to a gentle halt in the middle of nowhere.
2: (laughs) I've run out of puff. (laughs) The
0: the English Thomas the Tank Engine sense. so funny. (laughs) (laughs) my God.
2: I love that. Okay, so um, in the movie, uh, Marie, the musician that Rob sleeps with, is played by Lisa Bonet. And as we're watching it, um, I remembered who she was watching it. And I was like, oh my gosh, Ian, do you know who she is? I'm like, it's Zoe Kravitz's mom.
0: And as soon as you asked who it was, that's who first popped into my head was Zoe Kravitz. But yeah. I'm like, no, no, it's not her. Yeah, she's, she's not that old.
2: Yeah. And, it's because they look exactly alike.
0: <laughs> Especially in this movie. Yeah. Where...
2: She has the dreadlocks. Yeah, she
0: has the dreads, just like... And we're familiar with uh, Zoe Kravitz from uh, Big Little Lies. Yeah. Which she has a similar hairstyle in. Yet yeah, they're fucking twins, though. Like, yeah, identical. They
2: look so much alike. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: My second... Oh, so uh, the movie has this great cameo by Bruce Springsteen, which is so funny. And I liked it because uh, the movie or the book mentions Bruce Springsteen a couple times, like yeah. mostly about his lyrics and stuff. Uh, so there's just this great part in the movie where he's suddenly, you know, top, breaking the fourth wall and then Bruce Springsteen, it suddenly cuts to him playing a guitar riff <laughs> and then just having a conversation back and forth with Rob. It's so funny. Um, But a little factoid is originally they wanted Bob Dylan. Oh, really? To do that cameo. But he was um, unavailable, apparently. (laughs) Because
2: he was Bob Dylan. (laughs) Because he was Bob Dylan. Probably didn't want
0: to do a dumb movie cameo. (laughs) But yeah, it's a great part.
2: That's so funny. Uh, There's um, a plot line in the book where Rob is talking about the affair that he had um, when he was with Laura and he was cheating on her with a woman that he refers to as simultaneous orgasm Rosie. Because <laughs> apparently they would have si- simultaneous orgasms together. And according to him, it was she- he had the best sex with her that he's had with anyone. But she was apparently terrible and he hated her. <laughs> so I guess you can't always get what you want. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, and you would think that would make him not care so much about the sex... Laura was having with yeah. Ray.
2: Yeah. If he can think like I had the best sex with her, but I, ne- I never wanted to be with her. It would be terrible. He would be able to sort of separate that.
0: <laughs> nope. <laughs> no.
2: Classic Rob. <laughs>
0: yes. Uh, yeah, So That's about that's about it for us.
2: Yep. That's high fidelity.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. We loved reading it and getting to talk about it and all of the problems of Rob. <laughs>
2: Definitely check out the movie if you haven't seen it. Um, or if you have, maybe think about reading the book. If you liked the movie, it's definitely worthwhile.
0: I would definitely reckon, recommend both. Yeah, yeah. The movie especially, since it's less of a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, both are excellent. So, check them both out. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, follow us at Cover to Credits. That's the number two. Uh, or email us at Cover to Credits pod at gmail.com. Uh, you know, send in any recommendations you have for adaptations. We should do uh, what you thought of High Fidelity, mm-hmm. and just your thoughts in general. Say hi. You yeah. know, we're friendly. We don't bite. Nope. Leave so. us an
2: iTunes review if you feel like it. Oh, yeah. Check out our Facebook page. Um, we just watched the Oscars recently. Yes. And uh, so we're going to have a special after credits bonus episode uh, solely about the Oscars, uh, talking about you know, our predictions, what we thought would happen, our reactions to the winners and stuff. So um, if you want to check out our Patreon page, um, if you become a patron, you get our bonus podcasts and Mm -hmm. you can listen to that. We have one that comes out every month and that's what Uh, Our next one will be on.
0: Yes, uh, our Oscars roundup review (laughs) uh, ranting about Get Out not winning everything. Get
2: Out should have won everything. (laughs) Everything.
0: Everything (laughs) it wasn't even nominated for. Uh, And
2: uh, the next episode of our regular Cover to Credits podcast will be on an Oscar winner itself. Yes. Call Me By Your Name.
0: We're finally getting to do Call Me By Your Name. Get
2: excited, guys, because this is a great movie. We haven't read the book yet, but... Yeah. It's going to be a great episode. I just know it. So
0: the movie's great. I finally got to figure out what the peach scene was all about. I'll tell you all about the peach. (laughs) (laughs) So get pumped. We're really excited to talk about it, uh, especially after it won an award. So, yep, Yeah. So, yeah. uh, Find us on Patreon and contribute and just, you know, help support the podcast if you can. And we will see you next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.